0: welcome to the today's market explained podcast hosted by brian castle brian has been a financial advisor for over 35 years and is the founder of four-star wealth in chicago he will be sharing the most important investment opportunities out there in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from Brian will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting investment opportunities. To see all the best video highlights from every episode, please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now on to the episode. Hey
1: everybody! Welcome back to Today's Market Explained uh, podcast and video series and media event by Four Star Wealth Advisors. Uh, I'm Brian Castle, your host. And uh, we have a very interesting program, we believe, for you today. Um, I have a, a, a new guest co-host today, uh, sitting in for Chris Reardon, is Jack Walsh. So uh, Jack Walsh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. We'll call him Trader Jack. Trader Jack, uh, father of three uh, sports car enthusiasts. Uh, but Jack's also an uh, experienced trader in the interest rate futures in Chicago Merc- Mercantile Exchange. And for the last 15 years as Senior Financial Advisor, Jack's also the Chief Operating Officer of the largest practice within Four Star. So Jack, thank you again and welcome to the to the show. My pleasure. And I'm Brian Castle, Founder and CEO, CIO of Four Star, Eagle Scout, National Boy Scout Found, Foundation trustee, Philanthropic Advisor, Advisor to CEOs and Insiders, Chief Dad to Quinn and Evan, and husband to the amazing Tripti. So um, thanks everybody for being with us. If you like what you're hearing, please tell your friends and give us a five out of five on, uh, on, the, on the ranking on Apple iTunes. So <clears throat> we're gonna cover the markets today, the economy, and some interesting things that we see out there. Um, normally Chris does the market positioning, but Jack, uh, why don't you give that to us today? What, where, where do we stand in the major asset classes and what's changed since the last time that we met? Yeah, sure,
2: Brian. Uh, Number one is uh, international equities, that's at 246, that's down three points. Uh, Number two is cash at 207, unchanged. Uh, Moving up to number three is commodities, 188, that's up 13. Falling a spot, domestic equities at 184, down 13. Um, Fifth is fixed income, steady at 137. And then uh, last is currencies at 128, which is plus four.
1: Great. Well, thanks, Jack. So so underlying, looking at those numbers, we had exactly the same number of tally scores gained by commodities as lost by domestic equities. Um, we'll examine that. And then two of them were unchanged. We don't see that that often. There's usually some kind of movement relative strength between the others. But um, the domestic equities, the banking stocks, or were weakened by the Silicon Valley bank discussion, which we're going to talk about. And then precious metals rose. Now those who have been watching in the last year, last year we had a very big commodity rally and that was uh, one of the reasons for one of our great performing portfolios is we had positions in commodities, oil and grains. But precious metals didn't move last year, but now they're moving this year and that has to do with confidence, it has to do with the banking system. Jack. you've noticed uh, also very high volatility in the bond prices, right? Yeah, Brian, we saw,
2: um, you know, we saw the worst year ever in uh, fixed income last year, um, down uh, 12%, right? And what changed with the uh, banking crisis, remember we had the Fed um, out there convincing the market that the terminal rate, where where would Fed funds eventually get to? You know, and some people were thinking 6%, right? But well, as soon sort of as the banking crisis hit, you know, you had two year notes up at 5%, right? Um, and they fell towards 360. So that perception about what the Fed would be able to do to squash inflation changed, right? And it changed drastically to the point now where uh, people doubt that they could even go one more time. If you look at the Fed funds' futures, And actually predicting by the end of the year, you could see rates on the short end fall back to 4% from 5% now. So you had a big change in interest rate perceptions, which starts to weaken the currency and it starts to lift commodities, and especially precious metals, because that is insurance. Precious metals are seen as, you know, systemic insurance.
1: So. Well, it's interesting, um, Jack. I, I have up on the uh, up on the screen uh, a chart that I've had once before on the Today's Market Explained program. It's a chart showing the 2022 returns between the stock market and the bond market. So each dot, if you're looking at those who can see on the screen, um, be on one of the video series. Uh, you can see that. There are, most of the dots are in the upper right quadrant, which means the stock market was up and the bond market's up, and that's the normal state of action. There's a few uh, dots in the box that says the stock market's down, but the bond market's up. There's a few dots in the box that says the this bond market's up, but the stock market's down. But there's never been a dot in the box that said stock market down and bond market down. So it was the worst investing year of, of my 39 years in in this career um because so many more people got hurt cuz the bond market encompasses a significant more amount of more assets than the stock market stock market being down is never fun but a bond market being down 12% like it was last year Jack is is catastrophic and as you said the volatility is is really still going on isn't it yeah
2: well you know we always call the bonds the uh, safe bucket right and you know, everything is priced off of um, U.S. 10-year notes, right? And when that becomes volatile and that becomes very risky, even to the point from a volatility standpoint, that that's higher than stock market volatility, that becomes a big problem, right? And we're still seeing um, big gyrations in uh, treasuries. And um, so people really don't know what to think, right? I mean, we still have last print, we had 5 or 6% inflation. Uh, and then we have this growing, um, you know, banking crisis. Um, you know, we said back in, back in 2021 that um, with the amount of debt, the amount of negative debt in Europe, that if the Fed ever had to go on a um, course of action, that something might break. And it looks like this Silicon Valley bank, is the first um the first move towards you know something
1: break right yeah. well and a lot of that had to do jack also with the big dramatic change in in money movements before we had the big banking crisis we also had uh what was it 175 billion move into money markets right jack yeah one week yes yes and Brian, we even saw that from our
2: um, from our customer base um Right, money markets got up to the to the you know four point five, four point seven five, and we were we were starting
1: to bring in money. So yes, yeah. So and then uh, and then a trillion dollars left small banks to go to large banks for security reasons. Then as the banking price, it, prices hit, um, plus plus you know the bank deposit funds were not paying very much. So you're getting one percent, but institutional money markets are paying four four and a half. Uh, some close to five. So then people were saying, the best thing I can do right now is put my money in a big, big money market. Yeah. So it was changing the nature of banking at the same time. Yeah, that's a big that's
2: that's a big part of the uh, crisis. You know, um, you know, big banks. If you had your money at, um, let's say, J.P. Morgan or or whatever, depositors are um complaining. Where's my interest? Right. Well, the fact of the matter is, is a, is a big place like that. They don't need your deposit, right? Mm-hmm. They could just, they could just go into the market and fund themselves. It's those smaller regional banks that really need the uh, deposits and they saw those deposits leave and it really caused a lot of stress on their own um, business model. Yeah. And then on top of it, go, go ahead, Brian.
1: Well, people are learning, uh, Shaq, more about the banking industry. And uh, that fractional banking is what we do. And so uh, if you think about banking, Jack, um, we're in a position where uh, people are understanding that you put $100,000 in the bank, and then they lend out a million dollars. They lend out 10 times more than you put in there. And then they only reserve about 5%. So they only need a small amount of money for people that need money now or whatever, but most people don't pull their money out of the bank. So it's a fractional reserve system it's always worked, but it works with heavy regulation to make sure that banks aren't doing foolish things with the money, that they don't lose a lot of money, that they make money on that leverage. So it works, but people don't think about it when we're not going through a banking crisis. But in this case, the regulations failed. And then the supervision of the bank from the San Francisco Fed failed. So Silicon Valley bank check was very unique. Um, you know, it, all the models really didn't work. And so it's not really, we don't see this as a system failure, although there is some stress on the system that it helped cause this decline. But they made specific mistakes in regulation. They ended up having to sell bonds that came out of, you, called, you mentioned the hold to maturity segment yeah. of the balance sheet that they normally wouldn't have to mark to the market, but then they had to sell some. Once they did, they realized the loss in their capital declined. So they thought they'd, oh, we'll just go raise some money from that's a Silicon Valley thing. They'll just go raise some money. Well, they didn't have enough time to raise money, so um, you know normalcy finally set in that following Monday when a Silicon Valley Bank was acquired by another bank and the Fed guaranteed any of the previous losses. So uh, not to the bondholders and the stockholders, but to the depositors. So at least everybody was made whole. Then there's always questions whether they should have done that because there has to be some risk in the system but it was certainly also a group of folks that that were very favored by the current administration. So now there's calls that maybe they they were taking care of their friends by guaranteeing the deposits and, and all those kinds of things. So, <clears throat> Jack, it's really an issue of confidence in the system, isn't it? Yeah.
2: And I know from my days down on the floor, Bri, that once we see one firm have an issue, it's always who's next, right? And we saw that over the last uh, two weeks, right? We saw um, really any institution, um, you know, part of this Silicon Valley story was that, um, they were investing in treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, you know, s- safe, safe instruments. But the fact that the Fed raised rates, um, so quickly, it, it did not look like they had any type of dynamic hedging against, I guess, at risk so than anybody who had a large percentage of their portfolio. And those assets that fell, were starting to get hit. You know, we saw, you know, um, institutions that were that, that were strong before fall in a magnitude fifteen twenty percent one day, right? And then that just carries on. Then people start to look to Europe, and we had the Credit Credit Swiss issue, right? Um, now, an awful lot of money was 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 put into that. A lot of things were done on a, on a weekend to, uh, cobble that deal, deal together. Um, you know, in the, uh, previous crisis they came out with cocoa bonds, uh, convertible contingent bonds, right? right. And then when the equity falls in the stock, those bonds then become equity creates more pressure on stock prices. The market now is starting to look at big names like Deutsche Bank, right. Um, so like, like you said earlier, Bri, it's, it is all about, um, confidence and, and, and banking confidence. And we see day to day that, um, it really has not formed yet that, uh, that, you know, we get a couple days, you know, after stocks falling, you know, 20, 30, 40%, they'll bounce for, for a couple days. But I would say that the, the market is still not um confident that we've got this so-called banking crisis under
1: under um control it it seems to be decelerating but it's not completely controlled you're right that's Uh, what it seems like yes so uh you know what ended up happening is after silicon valley bank kind of kicked it off Uh, then we started having a bank crisis around the country smaller banks were losing assets certain smaller banks did essentially need assistance from the government so they arranged for a couple of mergers. So we got into kind of a classic banking crisis. So anybody who's ever seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, remembers when George Bailey played by Jamie Stewart was there and the bank was failing and they were losing their entire net worth. And, uh, m- many people have family stories of members of their grandfathers, great grandfathers, grandparents going through that situation in the 1920s. Many of the banks failed. Uh, but the thing that was going on in the in the movie, uh, back to the movie, is that there were lines outside the bank. Uh, mm-hmm. Banking crisis took not hours but weeks to de- to de- to develop as people had to line up to the bank, demand their money, and they were entitled to their money. And then the bank didn't have any money. So that was the whole drama in the movie. Uh, Jack, how much came out of that bank in one day, Silicon Valley?
2: Yeah, this I I read forty two billion w- one day, and that was. That was it. they had to they had to come in and uh, rescue it the um the next day. so yeah, you're you're right. I mean, this this idea of hopping on your phone and and transferring funds, you know we see we see it all the time,
1: yeah. so so this banking crisis was very different and and the technology once again made it efficient so people could easily move money from one bank to another in seconds. And that's what happened. so So it's even more important that confidence be in the banking system because of the mobility of the bank customers where they can move their money. So uh, banking does work, fractional reserve does work as a system, but there has to be confidence that there's not going to be bank runs and you're going to lose the remaining assets in there. So um, anyway, it's a really, really difficult lesson for everybody to go through. It's not quite over. we're, We're of the belief that hopefully it will be over and it is not a systemic issue. Um, but depending on how the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department handles things, you know, it could get worse. Uh, we're hoping and, and we're believing that it, it probably won't. So let's uh, let's pray for that, right, Jack? Yeah,
2: and and and, Bri, you know, we we've, we've said this all the time with uh, our uh, process. We don't make bold predictions, but we know what we'll do when we see it. Right.
1: So as far as far as the stock market, it's exactly right. So we watch things closely, and if there's if there's stress in the system, we'll be defensive. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But you're right; our our process is designed to minimize the damage on the downside to all assets, whether it be bonds or stocks or commodities or anything. So um, anyway, that that uh, we'll come back to that, Jack. So um, the Fed has been working now for over a year to raise rates. To ward off inflation, this terrible inflation, that you know, if it was easy and clear and understandable, it, the the Fed could act without without a whole lot of controversy. But the Fed has been blocked all year by some numbers that the federal government was sending out that were confusing and different than the other household surveys. So now many people um, believe, many economists believe that there there were numbers that were incorrect for over a year. And then some of the numbers came out right before the election that were more positive than the other survey numbers. So now some folks think that they were doing that uh, for the election to make it appear it was not as not as bad as it was. And we never had to worry about that before. Uh, we've always felt that our numbers coming out of the Federal Reserve and the Labor Department were honest and straight. So now there's some question and concern about that uh, because then Biden gave a speech right after a really good number. So it seemed like almost a setup. So um, we'll see. Um, The key is confidence in the system. And now that we're going through this banking crisis, uh, we had the same issue back in 2008. The Federal Reserve had to guarantee deposits for a period of time, so we might need a federal guarantee again for a while. And if folks think back to the 1979 to 1981 era, back when interest rates were spiking also, the Volcker Fed was getting very, very aggressive and raising rates, but we had banks failing back then. Uh, We had all kinds of things exploding, just like we're having now. We had two major world Western countries, uh, Japan and the UK had a a currency crisis at some point in the last six months. We also had, as you said, Credit Suisse blew up last fall, and then it finally got taken over. The final blow up was this past week. So uh, there's been a lot of damage to the financial system, but it really was the same thing we saw in the 1979 to 1981 period. Uh the Volcker Fed had to slow down, and now, of course, the Powell Fed has to slow down uh, now as well. So it's a real stressful time, Jerry.
2: Yeah, Brian. Um, I would just say from a, from an interest rate standpoint, right? Um, for years and years, we've talked about the Fed put, right? And basically, the the Fed put is, you know, that when things start to break uh, the Fed will step in to support asset, asset prices, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, I don't think there's ever been a more difficult spot here that we have five or 6% inflation. The Fed would like to continue to raise rates. They don't want to, they don't want to break the system, right? And you, you actually have people saying whose fault was it? Was it regulation? Was it this? Was it, was it that? You know, we kept the rates too low for too long, right? Uh, and it was able to to build up these um, excesses, right? Uh, what I'm telling you now is once again, the markets that I used to, used to work in are now predicting that they're very close to stopping, uh, highly likely that they'll stop. And by year end, you know, we could see short-term rates go from 5% to 4%, right? And I think the nail in the coffin would be if we had one of those sell offs that you and I have seen over our 30 years where it really shakes the confidence of the daily investor and you get that you get that flushed down um and then that then that big snap back
1: exactly well sweet uh, that's a good segue jack speaking of the markets you know we talk in terms of Okay, banking crises and everything else, but what does that do to the financial markets that we operate in for our clients every day and our investors and individual investors? So we have to say we want to protect uh, the assets on the downside, and we have a process to get there. So we have to ask ourselves, has the market already bottomed, or are we getting ready for another big leg down, Jack, like you were suggesting? That if things get worse and the market goes lower, uh, then obviously uh, we're going to have a a worse asset destruction in the market and go down another 15 to 20% from here perhaps. So have we bottomed? The S&P bottomed at 37.94 last October, we're about three or 400 points above that now. The Dow uh, bottomed at 31.429 and we're about 1,000 points above that now as well. So we haven't broken the lows of October, but if the numbers come out and they're weaker, and the banking price crisis gets worse, that will affect uh, the ability to lend. It will affect a lot of things. And so we will probably see those things go lower. But then the question always is, when get bad news, how does the market react to it? Sometimes the market's already reacted to it. And the cat, you know, the 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 cat's out of the bag or the horses out of the barn, if you will. And then instead of going down at bad news, the market goes up. And that that's a way you can you can see in somewhat of a signal that maybe things are over, Jack. Don't you think? Yeah, I I do, Brian. You're uh, the,
2: the old trading adage is never never fight the Fed, right? Um, and as I said earlier, the market wants the Fed to pivot, right? Um, now I don't know if things have to get worse. I mean, I I think that one of the uh, underpinnings of the market for for the year is that. Um, people have seen this slowdown coming this is the most talked about recession ever you know possibly um we've had market indicators tell us that from past history recession is uh, coming the market will be very happy when the fed pivots when the when 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 inflation starts to fall or the fed says we're not going to go to 2% 3% is going to be fine for now um i think you're
1: absolutely right we could have a very big market rally, for sure. Exactly. So we have what we call the four-star protection plan, and that's a series of signals that we get that will give us the 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 the, the signal to go to more cash to get more conservative. We've been holding that money in that ex, you know high yielding expensive uh, money money fund, which is great. <laughs> right. People have been getting a four point seven yield, um, but we last year because of the volatility of the market. We had to go to maximum cash, which is the fourth final signal jack. If you remember, we had to do it twice. That's the first time we ever had to go to maximum cash twice. And In my 29 years of of running portfolios in this fashion, we've only gone to maximum cash seven times and we had to do it twice last year. We are not at maximum cash levels right now because we've had a rally off the bottom. But if we see more deterioration, we could be at maximum cash again. Certainly, if we broke the previous lows, those signals would most likely turn. So, um, you know, we are prepared to take the action we need to to protect portfolios, but it certainly won't be a fun time. We'll be avoiding loss. We won't be making a lot of money, but we'll be avoiding loss. But there is a silver lining, Jack. So even, even if we have a, a bad market, the good news is that there is no, no such thing as a perpetual bear market. All markets bottom and eventually go back up. And the other good news is that 80% of the time when the stock markets in America have had a very bad double digit down year, like last year, 80% of the time the next year is up. So while we're getting close to going negative now in the market, we may go lower and be negative for the year. By the end of the year, there's a really good chance that we'll have rallied in anticipation of a recovery and then the market will be hopefully up for the year. So the odds are with us, Jack.
2: Yeah, I would like to I would like to mention one of the things that um, that I've said when I when I first got here is that um, you never invest for the end of the world because it only happens once. Right, Bry? And we used, right. To, we used to we used to say that all the time because we saw so many things bad, you know, happen through the through the 80s and 90s and clients would get me on the phone,
1: Jack, don't ever invest for the end of the world because it only happens once. Right. Well, and then of course, the definition of uh, crisis is the same in Chinese. That means opportunity. So when there is a crisis, there is an opportunity. So everyone says, I'd like to buy things cheap and sell them expensive and make money. Well, when they're cheap, a lot of people panic and they're not willing to be there. So we, right. we find that we will have some cash at the bottom that we can go back in and take advantage of things. So. If we did bottom in, 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 in October and uh, we get some better signals the trends, uh, higher highs and higher lows off this bottom, then we will put that money to work, whether that happens now or it happens from a lower level after we after we break the lows later this year, if that happens. So either way, the idea is that we're looking for the market to show some strength. The market will rally, then come back and not break the previous low. And then go to a higher, higher than the previous move. So we call it higher highs and higher lows. Will get us the signals that we need to get all our money back in. And we don't do it right away. We'll do it in increments. We'll do maybe 25% of the remaining cash, and then another 25%. And we get another signal, so as we get those signals, we do it incrementally. It's not like a light switch. It's like a dimmer switch. We ramp it up and ramp it down. So we've ramped it down, not all the way, but we're ready to ramp it up when it's time. Where we get those positive signals and you have to have a process to do that or else you'll fall for anything you won't have a program you won't know what to do everyone's in a panic but that's the panic of emotions of human beings is what creates bear markets people are in a panic they sell and they tend to sell near the bottom don't they Jim?
2: yeah well and we've seen brian where people that decide i've had enough i'm going to get out right mm-hmm. and they go all the way to cash, and they don't have a process, those people are frozen right yeah. they are just they are just paralyzed uh, I haven't seen a study on it, but you and I know just from seeing those those types of investors they are they are
1: paralyzed for for years now we've seen it in, in our in our world here at four star and before four star where those those who uh, those who sell near the bottom are paralyzed because then uh, they don't want to buy if it's lower. They think it's going lower. If it goes higher, then they feel like they missed it. So as you say, they're paralyzed. And so anybody who sells in a panic move near the bottom, without any plan or any program to get back in, will be in cash for many many years, and pa- yeah. in a, so, um, so you also mentioned Jack that we we have to be concerned about the economy, pre banking crisis and post banking crisis. Let's talk about that.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, we've we've started to see a. Well, let's put it this way: the data in the first quarter was not that bad, right? We don't know if it's not bad because of seasonal adjustments. One of the things that was going on in the first quarter is you still had relatively um, easy financial conditions, right? You could you you could you could still get a loan, right? The data that we're starting to see post banking crisis, they're saying that. Credit card activity fell off, fell off a cliff. Right, mm-hmm. and what's 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 difficult for the Fed right now is not only have they raised rates, but now these financial institutions' credit standards are going to get very very tight. Right, so even though the Fed you know may pause here, it's still not going to be easy to um, get credit. So whereas before you had rising rates, but you had relatively easy financial conditions you're gonna get a tightening of financial conditions, which can make the slowdown more drastic, right? So I would say that the numbers that we saw before the banking crisis, fine, right? Now what's gonna happen over the next two months, so.
1: So we'll see. Yeah. We, we wait. So um, another, another uh, conflicting issue is While there are many negative things happening in the economy, we're also seeing other cross currents. Like, Jack, uh, you know, most folks recognize it's very hard to travel right now. Everything's very expensive, The hotels are full. Uh, My wife booked overbooked flight the other day. We haven't seen that in a long time. Uh, So there's a travel boom on that has now exceeded the record levels of 2019, which was the biggest travel boom in American history, it was in 2019. So that's happening. And also there's a restaurant, even though Consumer spending in aggregate is slower. There's a restaurant boom going on right now. It's a rival any restaurant boom we've ever had. So while we're having all layoffs and all these other negative things in the banking crisis, we're also seeing a boom in some other areas. So that that's a signal that maybe the recession won't be as bad as everyone it's fears. That we're going to have a recession. We're probably already in it, um, but we'll we'll hope because of those factors that it's not as bad. And then the markets may have already bottomed, or if they haven't the bottom very, very soon and then we'll be hopefully over with this as the market and the economy anticipates recovery. That's what we need. There's a sense of renewal, uh and and the the animal spirits, Jack, the the way America, you know, operates, uh then people get hired, businesses grow, and that's the normal state of play in an economy, a capitalistic free economy like America. Yeah, I agree,
2: Brian. Um yeah. Let's just hope that um like I say, I would I think the market would like to see banking banking stabilize, right? Uh, it is it is odd that you know we're gonna we're likely gonna see some some jobs numbers where we actually lose jobs. That's gonna be a good sign for um for interest rates. Um, but yeah, nobody likes to see um and you're right. Restaurants, uh flights, you know, travel. Um,
1: so I am always, I I am always hopeful for sure. So, Jack, um, and and we switch to other things we see out there besides the economy. Um, we're seeing, uh, the, the federal government has been playing around with our strategic petroleum Reserve. You know a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I saw a chart and it hasn't been this low since, uh, the 1980s, right? Um, and, and, and what's, what's concerning is that, um, the reason for the sale, sure, inflation, high food prices, nobody wants to pay, pay more for their food. And, you know, energy is a big, big cost in transporting food and, and everything like that. But, um, you know, I would say with other geopolitical situations, I think we should be filling it up and, and, and not... Not at um, all time lows. But I, you know, Brian, I, I think that from the beginning, this energy transition um, was done in a not so well thought out fashion. Okay.
1: Well, hopefully they'd figure that out. We need to maintain our energy stores, we need to maintain our strength. We have met plenty of enemies on the world stage, China and others uh, in, in countries that don't like us. Uh, either they're jealous of us or they just don't like us. Either way, uh, we have to be the leaders in the uh, world commerce and maintain that leadership. So um, anyway, we'll see what they do with the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. A couple of other quick things, Jack, before we end it today. Um, there seems to be a new recognition of the invasion of tipping in our society. And I want to mention a little bit about that. Um, everywhere you go, you're asked for a tip. It used to be you'd go to the restaurant, Jack. And you you know you tip your waitress and uh, it would be uh, 15% is kind of standard, 20% if they did a good job, less if they didn't kind of thing, right? A standard program. But that was for people who weren't making a lot of money and they really survived on tips. So some folks who are good and hustlers could make all kinds of money in the tipping world. But now you go to a uh, retail store and uh, then and you have it on your app and they have a a place uh, to tip your staff and tip. So everybody's asking for a tip and then everyone can see your tip. So it's one of these things where, um, if, if somebody will give me a tip, you'll take it. But now they're setting it up with technology to get tips from everybody. So there's this tipping explosion and everyone's like, wow, well, wait a minute. This is a little, getting a little out of control here. Uh, there are tip jobs and not non-tip jobs. And if you're getting a good salary or an hour of wage, you don't really need a tip, do you? Um, You're not already now working for tips. So there's a backlash now of people who are not tipping uh, the way they used to. And the person behind the counter at the coffee shop is getting paid an hourly wage or a salary. So they are probably not going to get a tip, yet the waitress would get a tip because that's a tipping job. So there's some recognition now that um, tipping is kind of coercive and we need to go back to the way things were, where we tip the people who are tipping jobs. And just because somebody asked for a tip, Cause there's, if you're standing there and you have money, doesn't mean you give them a tip, so, right? So it, it's kind of one of these uh cultural things that have changed. And I think there, you know, there's a, a number, number of articles about how there's a backlash about tipping. So, um, but I've always uh, lived by the credo that if you do have good service, tip big that way you make sure you get good service when you come back, right? Sure, I agree. So we'll. And there's a lot of cash out there, Jack. So a lot of people have a lot of cash to tip. Um, and then one, one other thing, just a totally different subject I wanted to mention. Um, there are certain people who have been on this earth who contributed in a major way to the success of America. And while he wasn't a president or a senator, uh, Gordon Moore was the founder co-founder of Intel. And he's famous for what's known as Moore's Law. And the Moore's Law said the speed and number of transistors doubles every two years in the technology industry. And so we've seen, anyone who remembers the early 80s with the 8086 IBM computer, and then the 286, 386, and they kept raising the speed and raising the storage. And now we have gigabytes and terabytes and all kinds of different things that we didn't have in the 80s and the 90s. So technology has really been the efficiency that in many ways has driven the American economy and kept the efficiency uh, going for America that other countries didn't have. Now, of course, the rest of the world is gaining steam in that area. Uh, China and other competitors are now more and more in technology all the time. Uh, but you know, Gordon Moore was one of the leaders in that uh, kind of carving out the concept that um, uh, technology um, speed doubles basically every two years. So. He passed away last week. We just wanted to say hats off to Gordon Moore and all the great technology people that have made America what, what it is today. So uh, thanks, Gordon, for sure. Also, um, we're just about to end it today. I just want to mention on the Leadership Matrix blog post, which you can find at Leadership Matrix by searching leadershipmatrix.com, or you can also go on to the four-star website and see the microsite screen a little bit down the main page where the Leadership Matrix is housed. And we have a, an article about a second chance to make a first impression. One of the things that's happened is in this environment where we've been locked up because of the pandemic for the last couple of years, or many people, some some more than others, um, a lot of people forgot some of the people skills they needed to shake hands and smile at people and make a good first impression. So we found an interesting article about a second chance to make a f- good first impression. That's on the Leadership Matrix blog post, uh, along with all the other comments that we we made recently. And then also, uh, I wanted to highlight a podcast interview, and of course, you can go exactly where you're getting this podcast if you're listening by podcast, to Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all the other services, Google Podcasts, and you can find our, our, our series. We interviewed Dane Sanders, who is an investment banker in Chicago, gives us an update on the capital markets. The economy is slow. So, so, capital formation is slower than it normally would be, uh, but nonetheless, uh, we hear from Dane and Dane tells us a little bit about what's going on in the capital markets. For the economy to really recover, the capital markets have to be strong. Uh, you know, capital formation, funding companies, companies going public, that's part of the process. So, that's what we're hoping to do and Dane will give us an update on that as well. So, Jack, I think we've done all we can do for today. Brian, thank you, It's it's been my
2: pleasure and let's hope for stronger markets.
1: Let's let's pray for America, let's pray for our president, let's hope things go well, uh, as I always say, and uh, why, why don't we leave it there until our next episode of the Today's Market Explained four-star media event. Thanks everybody for being with us Thanks. today.
0: Thanks again. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way you can support us is to leave a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you heard something here that someone else you know will find value from, please share the episode directly with them. Want us to answer your investing question directly on the next episode? Go to todaysmarketexplained.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom and submit your question. Please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see the best moment video clips from every episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep on growing out there, everyone.